The Book Nook on WISO was presented by the Greene County Public Library, with additional support from Wright Memorial Public Library, Clark County Public Library, Tip City Public Library, Dayton Metro Library, and Washington Centerville Public Library. Hello, welcome to the Book Nook on WYSO. I'm Vic McCunis. I've been joined on the telephone by Purva Joshapura. She's on the telephone with us in uh, London, England. She just called in to talk about her new book. It's called Survival at Stake, How Our Treatment of Animals is Key to Human Existence. Welcome to the program, Purva. Thanks, Vic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking at your bio here in the uh, back of the book, and it says you are the Senior Vice President of International Affairs for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals in uh, the United Kingdom. And uh, those are certainly some great credentials for writing a book like this. What made you decide you needed to write this? Well, um, so I've been working uh, with PETA in different capacities for about 25 years now. I actually started out uh, with PETA in the U.S., and then I ultimately started working for PETA around the world. And, uh, you know, in this process, uh, one of the questions or one of the comments that I would commonly be uh, told um, when I told people that I help animals is, well, shouldn't we help human beings first? This is a common thing that people said, and I, I wrote the book because I realized many people don't know that human well-being is intertwined with that of other animals. And by that, for example, I mean the meat, egg, and dairy production is driving the climate catastrophe, various forms of pollution, as well as health threats from zoonotic diseases. You know, for instance... Um, uh, COVID-19 likely originated in the live animal market, but then you also have uh, diseases like bird flu and swine flu, which spread from factory farming. There's, um, you know, other links to how our treatment of animals uh, impacts us. For instance, HIV and Ebola are thought to have first been transmitted to humans uh, through our hunting of primates. Uh Another example is law enforcement experts today recognize that cruelty to animals is often a precursor to murder and other violent crimes against humans. So there's um, all sorts of different links that I talk about in the book. Pandemics and epidemics, yes. Also antibiotic resistance and other public health risks. Um, antibiotic resistance primarily from our overuse of antibiotics in farm damage. Um, climate catastrophe, pollution, uh, violence in society, as I mentioned. And um, I ultimately provide readers with a roadmap for changing our uh, destructive trajectory on some of these issues before it's too late. The message that I'm receiving from the book is that we are animals and we are surrounded by animals of all different kinds, all kinds of living beings, and yet we have some sort of feeling that, that we are superior, that we, we can dominate all these other creatures, we can control them, we can do anything that we want to them, we can kill them, we can eat them. They have no feelings. That's right. I mean, <clears throat> I believe, you know, as you know from me working 
for an animal rights organization that we should care about animals because they have inherent worth. But our moral responsibility towards them must also include taking care of the planet and ourselves because human, planetary, and animal well-being are intertwined. And that's because humans, of course, are animals. Um, Scientists today confirm many resemblances between humans and other animals, from whales to even invertebrate creatures like bees. They, They describe bees and other animals as sentient, intelligent beings who express emotional states. I tell you, research even reveals that Bees appear to dream. Uh, Chickens are clever and cunning. Pigs can be taught to play video games. Fish form friendships. Um, You know, scientists tell us cows grieve. Octopuses experience even emotional pain. So by establishing similarities like these between humans and other animals in my book, I hope readers would be less surprised that the well-being of other animals is, is intertwined with my own as they, as they get through the book. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Purva Joshapura. Her book is Survival at Stake, How Our Treatment of Animals is Key to Human Existence. You're listening to 91.3 WYSO, fact-based journalism in service of democracy. Uh, you don't need to persuade or convince me, uh, Purva. I feel animals are just incredible, and I know they have feelings. I've loved many animals throughout my life and still do, and it's very painful for me to read your book. It's one of the most difficult books I've ever read because you talk about all these horrors, all these terrible things that that we do to other creatures. It's just... but, But it's so important to know this because... I don't want to think about it. Most people don't want to think about it. You're right. I mean, what we do to animals is so horrific that the industries that do these things to the animals spend billions of dollars trying to hide that cruelty from the public. Um, you know, the meat industry is is not going to just come right out and say, hey, everybody, uh, we confine animals in crates and cages so small that they can hardly move. Um, they're not going to say our production lines are so fast that we sometimes miss stunning animals and, uh, you know, slit their throats while they're still fully conscious and aware of what's happening to them. The leather industry is not going to say, by the way, we're the most polluting uh, industry in fashion. Um, Leather from cows and buffaloes, bovines, is regarded as the most polluting material in fashion. And so it becomes the responsibility of organizations like PETA that go behind the walls of the slaughterhouses, into the factory farms, into laboratories, to then let people know the truth of what's going on. And part of what I did um, through my career with PETA is I was an investigator uh, for some time of that. I did go to the slaughterhouses. I went inside laboratories. And so I can speak firsthand about what happens 
to these animals and bring that information out to the public. I've also overseen many investigations. And, you know, just taking animals in laboratories as an example, on top of being poisoned and drugged and so on, they're taken away from their families, they're put into these cages, and even just the mere fact of having to spend their lives in these cages is so traumatizing to them that it drives them insane. Uh, monkeys, for instance, start pulling out their own hair or pressing their thumbs into their eyes just as a way of trying to self-soothe from all of the uh, trauma and fear and anxiety that they're experiencing. Similarly, animals used for food, you know, if we had to pick an animal who is perhaps the most abused animal on the planet, I would probably have to say chickens. Um, chickens used for eggs especially are kept in cages so small they can't even turn around, and the conditions are so frustrating that they... Uh, peck their cage mates and sometimes even cannibalize them out of the uh, unnatural and extremely stressful situations that they're in. So we can do a lot better for animals. And in the book, I describe how doing better for these animals also means doing better for ourselves. Like, you know, for instance, the University of Oxford here in the UK, their researchers found that eating vegan is the single biggest way an individual can reduce their environmental impact. In fact, they found that by not eating meat and dairy, you can reduce an individual's carbon footprint from food by up to 73%. And similarly, choosing vegan clothing instead of animal skins also has a tremendous impact, and it's very easy to do. My guest is Purva Joshapura. Her book is Survival at Stake, How Our Treatment of Animals is Key to Human Existence. She joins us on the telephone in London, England. Purva, we have a lot of people out there who look at the weather and they look at the changing climate and they say, oh, this is nothing to worry about. There's nothing wrong here. Uh, we have all these industries who are polluting the world uh, in places like the United States and China, all over the world, these factories are polluting. And the bottom line there is money, and they don't want to change. And the same goes for all this factory farming, all these uh, chickens and, and all these creatures that, that are in cages and that are suffering. It's about money. How do we change? How, how do we go somewhere where this isn't happening, because we've got people who won't even admit the climate is changing. We've got a guy who might be our next president who says, drill, drill, drill. He, he, he wants more fossil fuels. Yeah, and I think you're right, Vic, that the number one step is, is of course, to, to recognize the facts and to, to recognize what is happening and the factors that are contributing to the climate catastrophe, because you know, just denying it, it's, it's going to be at our own peril. Um, according to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, the animal agriculture sector is responsible for nearly one-fifth of human-induced uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And it's not just about the, the 
impact that greenhouse gases has on the environment. It's also uh, meat, egg, and dairy production is so incredibly resource-intensive, it uses up a mammoth one-third of all of the world's freshwater resources. Um, It uses up one-third of the world's cropland to feed cattle, chickens, and other animals uh, reared for food. And this is all while, uh, you know, 828 million people in the world lack enough food to eat. So if we fed human beings directly rather than channeled them through animals, it would also uh, greatly um, alleviate, uh, you know, humans who are facing uh, hunger. Uh, so, you know, these, there's so many um, uh unfortunate effects on human beings, which are all linked to our um, incredible use of animals for for meat, egg, and dairy. Uh, You know, the people who eat these animal-derived foods today eat double what we did about 50 years ago of the same foods. And so to meet this enormous demand for these Foods, the animals are being raised in such severely overcrowded conditions that they are pumped full of antibiotics all around the world, so much so that there is more antibiotics used in animals used for food than there are humans directly. And so what that means, or the effect that that's having on us, is that uh, it's contributing to what's called antimicrobial resistance and the development of superbugs. That means when medicines needed to treat illnesses from bacteria, viruses, and so on, parasites in humans become less effective or stop working altogether. Um, and it also means that uh, it creates a situation where new resilient forms of infections can arise. So there's Lots of reasons why it is worth having a think about um, the foods we put on our plate and the power of our plate to do better for animals, the planet, and really ourselves too. They say that going vegan, by simply going vegan, people can save up to uh, 200 animals a year simply by not eating them. My guest is Purva Joshapura. We're talking about her book, Survival at Stake. How our treatment of animals is key to human existence. One of the starkest examples in the book, to my view, of the connection between climate change and what we're doing to animals is what's happening in, in uh, the Amazon rainforest. And, and this huge company, this beef company down there, they're, they're clearing all this uh, forest down there, which we need for our climate. to to be healthy, and they're creating more and more cattle ranches and more and more beef production and leather production. And it's just, it's so scary and insidious to picture this, these people illegally logging these these massive rainforests. And, And then we have the rivers, and we have all that effluent flowing off all this cropland, which is being used for what? to feed animals to slaughter. Yes, and it's, it's the, the Amazon, of course, is 
um, rainforests in general are important to all of our survival um, because of the incredible carbon stores that they are and the oxygen that they produce. But it's it's not only in the Amazon. Um, meat egg and dairy production is putting wildlife at risk all around the world. And uh, the reason for this is because areas are being cleared to raise animals as well as the crops to feed them. And uh, this is increasingly happening in biodiverse regions of the world. And it's happening to uh, try to meet the constant growing demand for, for meat, egg, and dairy foods as the world population uh, grows. And so uh, meat, egg, and dairy production is considered a key um, threat to species survival um, all around the world, both, both plant and animal species, as these areas are cleared. Almost half of uh, global surface area, now 45%, is used for animal agriculture. Mm. I mean, that is a huge swath of the world that is used purely for these industries in which animals are reared uh, to to feed this uh, demand for for their flesh. Um, and so, it's not such a crazy idea to say, if you want to save tigers, you have to go vegan. You have to stop eating meat. Purva, give us a little hope here. You've given us some smidgens of hope so far. Give us some more hope. Well, um, there's a there's a lot of hope. In fact, in the, in the, the last chapter of my book, I talk about uh, many of the things that are happening, um, uh, that the choices people are making uh, to address these um, uh, the effects of. You know, these industries that I mentioned on animals, on the planet, uh, on ourselves, for instance, um, uh, according to a report um, that looked at uh, the eating uh, behaviors of people all around the world, they say some 70% of people these days are examining their diet and either becoming vegetarian or at least reducing their meat intake. We have um, businesses coming up all around the world who are producing such wonderful tasting uh, vegan plant-based meats, eggs, and dairies that you know that we can dairy foods that we can choose from. And in, you know, increasingly these are uh, are better and better tasting. Um, you know. You have so many products that nowadays uh, taste just like, for example, fish or mutton. Just give them a try. Ice creams, you can't taste the difference between whether they're made from dairy or whether they're made from uh, coconut milk or, or something else. You have wonderful plant leathers that are coming up. Um, companies and, uh, you know, businesses around the world are starting to uh, – Use, for example, leather made from grapes or leather made from apples or leather made from uh, mangoes and other agricultural waste and so on. You have uh, entire countries that are starting to make 
policy level moves away from animal experimentation, not only for the animals, but because it is moving toward more human-relevant approaches to experimentation and science, people are starting to realize this link. It's because of the animals themselves, but people are also starting to realize how we're all interconnected and how we treat animals has an impact on us, either from a health perspective or societally. For instance, the Federal Bureau of Investigation explains on its website that uh, recent research shows that there's a well-documented link that uh, cruelty to animals is a co-occurring crime with violence against human beings and is associated with all sorts of uh, violent offenses. That means that people often start off by being cruel to animals, but then move on to human victims. The chapter before that, which you were just alluding to, is called Creating a Monster, and it starts off with a description of the childhood of Jeffrey Dahmer, who was a serial killer, and I see his father, Lionel Dahmer, died recently, and his father was a scientist, and when he saw young Jeffrey's interest in dissecting all kinds of dead animals, he initially thought that this was wonderful, that his son was interested in science, and in that chapter... You talk about how they've seen links between some of these people who are shooting up schools in the United States. Uh, They're usually men, and uh, they usually have high-powered semi-automatic weapons, and quite often they were cruel to animals. Oh, absolutely. In fact, the, you know, if you look at the histories, you just look up pretty much, it, it seems you can pretty much look up any serial killer any school shooter, and chances are they will have a history of cruelty to animals. And it's one of these things that perhaps when the individual was younger, they had these red flags uh, of being cruel to animals or so on that somebody noticed, and perhaps nobody took any action on it. Maybe it was thought something like boys will be boys or something like that. And so increasingly... Um, law enforcement officials, psychologists, they're telling us, you have to take that stuff seriously. You can't let it go because by addressing it early on, you may uh, prevent um, you know, other violent crimes uh, and violent treatment of others, whether it's other animals or whether it's human beings uh, later on. It certainly doesn't mean that every kid who kicks the dog is going to turn into a serial killer, no. But it does mean that cruelty to animals is serious for the animals, but it's also serious for its impact on society. My guest is Purva Joshapura. Her book is Survival at Stake, How Our Treatment of Animals is Key to Human Existence. Throughout the book, you demonstrate the linkage between our environment and the problems we're having with the changing climate and the connection to living creatures. Uh, You... uh, go from big creatures to small, back and forth. Uh, We go from elephants to mosquitoes. Uh, We we talk about pollinators and and the key role of pollinators and how our agricultural practices in this country have created these chemical farming systems where 90% of of the crops are, are treated with chemicals that then kill plants like 
milkweed, which the monarchs need. You show all these these connections between butterflies, between bees, between pollinators, things that are so crucial to our own survival because without pollinators, what are we going to do? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it often goes right back to our, uh, of course, we use uh, all sorts of chemicals on uh, crops and so on, which also have an effect, effect on insects. But, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier about how uh, almost half of global surface area is now used for meat, egg, and dairy production and the crops to, to feed them, to feed those animals raised for these industries. Um, that also means that all these biodiverse places where insects of different species would have been thriving and so on are also being cleared, usually for just two crops, which are soy and corn, mm. because those are the two dominant crops which are fed to these animals uh, raised for food. So the clearing of all of that land is also having a, a, a knock-on effect um, with all of the uh, insects that would have been there, but also because of the way that um, those crops are, are treated. Pollination is one of the wonderful jobs that insects do for us, but they do all sorts of other important, important things in, in nature. You know, they aerate the soil or they... Uh, decompose uh, dead matter, um, uh, you know. So there's all sorts of reasons why we need insects or why we really need all the animals that are there on the planet. We all have, we have a symbiotic relationship with, uh, with all of them, but certainly with pollinators. And the book opens with a lot of information showing the connections between these horrific live animal markets and possible viruses and diseases that have spread into humans like COVID. This is all very shocking and good to know because I was not aware of a lot of these connections. And it's a fascinating, difficult book. I think it's an important book. And Perva, we, we really appreciate you uh, coming on the air and calling into us to talk about it. Oh, it, it's my pleasure. I, I, and, I, and I'm with you. I think most people don't know that uh, most emerging diseases that have affected humans over the last decades, about 75% of them, are zoonotic. That means they spread from humans and other animals. And the frequency of such events and the variety of pathogens involved have been accelerating. So zoonotic diseases include SARS, uh, HIV and Ebola, as you mentioned, various strains of bird flu and swine flu, which are spread from factory farming, and likely COVID-19 as well, as far as what most uh, virologists believe. And we only need to ask ourselves, you know, what's changed recently that would increase humans' likelihood of catching diseases that affect other species? And their answer is simple. It's our intensified and relentless meddling with nature by factory farming, by killing wildlife, 
uh, by encroaching on the habitats of wild animals. And this includes when forests are flattened to grow crops for animal feed uh, or to use as grazing land for animals. It also is, uh, you know, what happens when we, we go into these forests to capture monkeys or and so on who end up in the animal experimentation industry. My guest has been Purva Joshapura. Her book is Survival at Stake, How Our Treatment of Animals is Key to Human Existence. You heard about it on the book nook. Thank you so much, Purva. Thank you so much. For the book nook, I'm Vic McCunis. <laughs>